seated. We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, the book of Romans and the 10th chapter, book of Romans and the 10th chapter, and I'll be reading and then preaching on verses 5 through 13 of this 10th chapter as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study and exposition through this wonderful epistle of grace. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 5, and I encourage you to read along as I read aloud this morning. Beginning in Romans 10 and verse 5. Here Paul writes, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who shall descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you believe with your mouth, if you, excuse me, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness to us today and bringing us together as a family of God to worship you. And we would ask now for the work of your Holy Spirit, that he would be our guide and our teacher as we look at this text of Scripture. We pray for understanding. We pray for the ability to interpret and to apply this to our lives in such a way that you are glorified, the Lord Jesus Christ is honored, and we spiritually benefit. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Friends, over the past few weeks, I've emphasized the difference between righteousness under the law and that righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For there is a righteousness that is based upon the law of God, but it is not that righteousness that justifies us. For the righteousness that is based on the law is a conditional righteousness that under the covenant of works you and I were commanded to maintain. And yet it is a righteousness that we as fallen creatures under the law's condemnation fall desperately short of obtaining. Whereas on the other hand, the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ is a free gift. A free gift, because it is not something that we can earn, but it is something that is imputed or credited to us because of what Jesus Christ has already done. And knowing the difference between the righteousness that comes through the law and the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ is essential to understanding the true nature of salvation and true acceptance with God the Father. 
For if we are trying to win God's approval, if we are trying to appease God's wrath by maintaining a righteousness based upon the law, we will surely fail to achieve it. We will live defeated and frustrated lives because it is not possible for us to keep the law of God perfectly. This is simply not possible. However, if we seek to obtain that righteousness that God gives through faith, and that is based on the saving merits of Jesus Christ and His work, then we can be accepted as righteous by God the Father. And we can live in a way that glorifies God, although we are not yet perfect. For the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ is the righteousness that makes our love and our service to God possible. It makes our love and service to God acceptable. And so these distinctions need to be emphasized if we're going to understand what it is that we are being saved from and what we are being saved by. Therefore, it's not surprising to us then as we come to verse 5 of Romans chapter 10 to see Paul addressing the differences that I've just mentioned and how they actually affect the message of the gospel and the way that we are to proclaim that gospel. For notice, Paul begins here in Romans chapter 10 in verse 5 by taking us back to the Old Testament and to the message and the ministry of Moses under the law. And Paul reminds us that Moses spoke of that righteousness that God stressed to his people under the covenant of works. For Paul writes, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based upon the law, that the person who does the commandments shall what? Shall live by them. And so Paul reveals that Moses wrote about the need for righteousness and the sum or the essence of Moses's message was not that there is a righteousness to be found through faith because Moses knew nothing at that time in history of the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. But rather what Moses knew, what Moses declared is that God commanded that his people be perfect, that God commanded that his people have a righteousness Righteousness as defined by complete and total obedience to the law. And Moses further emphasized that all who lived under God's commandment, all who lived under the covenant of works were commanded to live by it entirely, meaning that they were to submit to it in strict and exact obedience, which is what God commanded. And in trying to do that, as we've been stating for weeks now, they were confronted with their inability to keep the law. Because the purpose of the law and the righteousness of God that was displayed by the law was to show men and women their unrighteous character and to reveal to them and to reveal to us our need of grace through God's Redeemer. And thus, in striving to keep the law, the best that a man or a woman could achieve is a knowledge of where they fall short. A knowledge of where they fall short. Which is why the law of God was and is not the final word. The law is not the final word from God. 
That word told us that we fell short of God's righteousness. That's not the final word from God, but rather there is a better word, a greater word, a superior word from God to come. And that being the message of freedom through Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law on our behalf, who kept the law for us, and that we are to seek him by faith for the righteousness that we need. And where does this greater message of righteousness by faith come from? Well, notice that Paul states here in verses 6 and 7 of Romans 10 that this message is not far removed from us under the gospel. It is not a distant message at all, whereas the message of the law came from Moses and to God's people in a manner that communicated a distance between them and God. But through God's promise of a greater righteousness to come, which God himself gives to the hearts of men, the message of salvation through the gospel is not a distant message, but rather we have only to appropriate it by faith. It is near to us. It is a simple message. It is a message that we can easily appropriate by confessing and believing. We're getting back to verse 6 here in chapter 10. Paul writes, But the righteousness based on faith says, as though it were speaking directly to us this morning, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the grave. What is Paul saying by this statement? This is admittedly challenging words. Paul is saying here that God's promise of a true righteousness, that is by faith, is not inaccessible to us. It is not something that we have to go to great lengths to find or to confirm, because it is a message that is not intended to confuse. It's a message that is clear. It is a message that is close at hand. And of course, the evidence of this is the fact that it is not saying to our hearts, hey, you have to do more. Did you hear that? It's not saying to our hearts, hey, you have to do more. Nor is it saying that Christ must do more. It's not saying that Christ must come down from heaven or that Christ must again come up from the grave. Because the message that imparts righteousness by faith is the message that states clearly that those things have already been done. And the only thing that remains for us today is the need for faith. And therefore, if the message that is being impressed upon our hearts is one that says, more is required from me and more is required from Christ, it is not the message of righteousness that comes by faith. That's not the message that's speaking but if the message that's being impressed upon our hearts says, hey, faith in Christ is enough, and Jesus Christ is enough to declare me righteous before God, then we can be certain that this is the right message. We can be certain that the Spirit of God is the one who is speaking to our hearts, that the Spirit of God is confirming our faith. And of course, this message that we are speaking of here and that is speaking back to us is itself spoken of back in the Old Testament also. 
for the entire section of chapter 10 here is Paul's commentary on Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And I'm not going to read that this morning, but I just want you to be familiar with the fact that Paul is actually commenting on a section of the Old Testament here in Deuteronomy. And back in that section of Scripture, God was declaring to Moses that his word was not too hard for them. His word was not difficult to obtain, nor was it difficult to understand, for the law had been intended to occupy their mouths. They were to know it so they could speak it. The law was intended to occupy their hearts. It was not intended to be a source of confusion for them. And yet here, Paul citing these words from Deuteronomy in Romans 10 is intended to stress that these things now are even more accessible. They're even more near to us under the gospel, which fills our hearts and minds this morning. Because the gospel is a superior message to the law. And it is, as Paul clearly states in verse 8, the word of faith. The word of faith. And so once again, Paul is emphasizing here that the righteousness that is by faith is not only superior to the law, but it's also more accessible to us than the law was. For the law was in our mouths and hearts because we were compelled to obey it out of fear and duty. But the gospel, the message of the righteousness of God by faith is now in our mouths and in our hearts because the Spirit of God has changed us and our relationship to the law's demands has changed as well. Now the gospel is in our mouths and the gospel is in our hearts and we serve God not out of fear but out of gratitude. Needless to say, this says something very significant about the word of faith that we now proclaim. For the word of faith that we now proclaim is not a reference to something that we have created. It is not a word of faith that we speak into existence, but it is a word of faith that God spoke into existence. It is a word of faith that changes us by its power. And this is an important distinction that needs to be stressed because we need to give credit where credit is due. And all the credit is due to God and to His grace. So God's message today, according to Paul, is that there is a righteousness that is based on faith. And this message this morning is nearer than we realize. This message this morning is clearer than we realize. It is more accessible than we realize. In fact, Paul stresses what it is not saying here in verse 6 of chapter 10 and what it is saying in verse 8 of chapter 10. And what is this message, this message of the righteousness which is by faith saying to us? Well, Paul expounds to us further what it is saying in very practical terms. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Here's what the message is saying to us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And what's truly significant here is how the message that is near to us now is fundamentally different than the message delivered by Moses. I want you to think about the differences very, very quickly here. The message that Moses delivered back in verse 5, remember verse 5, was do the commandments and live. There were conditions upon our life. However, here in verse 9, the message is different because the nature of the covenant that is being set forth between God and us is now different. It is not the covenant of works, but it's the covenant of grace. And under this gracious covenant, God is not saying, do this and live, but rather God is saying, confess this and believe. See the difference? It's a huge difference. It's not do this and live. It's not work for your salvation. It's not work to try to approve or win God's approval. But it's believe, it's, it's confess the truth about Jesus Christ. And there's a world of difference between do this and live, which speaks of human effort, and confess this and believe, which speaks of the existence and the exercise of faith. One is a duty, one is a gift. So the first thing of great significance here is how different the two messages are, because under the covenant of grace, God is doing something new, and that is He is offering the gift of righteousness through belief in His Son, and not a human pursuit of righteousness through the law. That's the first thing to note. Secondly, what's significant here in verse 9 of chapter 10 are these two expressions, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. These describe the kind of responses that are produced by the Spirit. Hear those words carefully. The kind of responses that are produced by the Spirit in us because of this righteousness. For in confessing with one's mouth, a person is revealing what's on their heart. And in the case of a true believer, this involves confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a part of this message. And of course, what's significant about this is that Paul declares elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3 that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. An amazing statement. No one can say that Jesus is Lord, confessing with their mouth in true belief that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so the first indication that an individual has received the righteousness by faith that we've been speaking of is what they actually confess about the person of Jesus Christ. Do they confess that Jesus is who he is, says he is? Do they confess that Jesus is who Scripture says he is? And who is he? He is Lord over all. He is the one who has universal dominion. He is the one who is worthy of glory and praise and honor. He is the one who has the power to save all those who come to him by faith. And of course, if a person refuses or if a person is reluctant to make this confession that Jesus is Lord, we have every right to question what's on their hearts. 
That's what Paul is saying. The confessing and the believing are related to one another. If we will not confess that Christ is Lord, if we're reluctant to confess that Christ is Lord, then there's a reason to question what is on our hearts. In fact, this afternoon, Lord willing, after the service, we'll have a baptismal service, and we'll be asking those who are candidates for baptism to make a confession publicly before you and I, before God. And that confession is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they'll make that confession before they're baptized. And we will only baptize them today based on their confession or acknowledgement that Jesus is who Scripture says that He is and that they are willing to follow Him and submit to Him. Then not only does this verse, verse 9 of chapter 10, stress the importance and significance of confessing with our mouth, but notice again the language. It also talks about believing in our hearts. Believing in our hearts, because what we believe in the heart reveals the extent to which the Spirit has transformed us and the degree to which the Word of God has taken root in our lives. For when a person believes in the heart, he is revealing the effects of a changed heart. And when a person believes from the heart, he or she is not easily shaken, right? If you believe something from the heart, you, you really believe it. For the heart is the center. The heart is the core of our being. And what is it that we must believe from the heart? Well, Paul states here in verse 9 that we must believe, notice this, that God has raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That's what we must believe from the heart. And why Christ's resurrection in particular? Because it is the resurrection of Christ that speaks to Christ's ability as the risen Lord to save us and to bestow upon us his own righteousness through our believing. Because if a person does not believe in Christ's resurrection from the heart, he denies the very power needed to save him. He denies the very power needed to bring him from death unto life. And when we baptize someone this afternoon, we are saying symbolically that they have been delivered from death to life. Thus, confessing and believing, practically speaking, are the means by which, through the powerful working of God, we are saved. Confessing and believing are two sides of the same work whereby God saves us. And yet, not only are confessing and believing practical proofs, evidences that we are saved, but there are also theologically significant responses as well. For Paul argues here in verse 10 that with the heart one believes and is justified. Now, I'm not going to go into a great deal of explanation this morning about what justification means, but I simply want to say that our whole understanding of what it means to be justified is impacted by what it means to believe. And in the same way, Paul argues in verse 10, that with the mouth one confesses and is saved, which stresses the important role that confession plays in our salvation. For our willingness to confess Jesus Christ is proof of who we are. It's really important that we are willing to confess 
Jesus Christ. If we're unwilling to confess him, what does it say about the nature of our profession? In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 32, Jesus spoke some of the most compelling, challenging words found in all the New Testament. He said this, Whoever acknowledges me or confesses me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And so confessing Christ is very, very serious business. It is not done lightly. It encompasses and it accompanies true salvation. And no doubt there are several reasons why confessing and believing in Christ are the best and most appropriate responsibilities and responses that the Holy Spirit produces. Let me give you two reasons why this is the case. First, they are the best and most appropriate responses because confessing and believing in Christ are evidences that we are not ashamed. That we are not ashamed of him or of his testimony, but rather we have discovered as scripture repeatedly affirms that all who believe are delivered from any kind of shame whatsoever. Notice what Paul says here in verse 11 of Romans 10. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And the Old Testament scripture that Paul is citing from here is Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. That's what Paul is doing here in Romans 10 and verse 11. He's citing Isaiah 28. And in speaking in Isaiah 28, God said that he was placing within Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, and a sure foundation who is Jesus Christ. And Isaiah declared that one of the features of the faith that the Spirit would produce in us is its refusal to be ashamed. Someone who truly believes in the heart in Jesus Christ, one who truly confesses Jesus Christ, will not draw back in the face of ridicule or persecution because others reject Christ. For if one is ashamed of Christ after seeing who he is, if one is ashamed of Christ after observing how gracious towards sinners he can be, then that person has not experienced a genuine work of grace within the heart. He has not experienced the confidence and spiritual fearlessness that the Spirit of God produces. For the true believer, though he may struggle with fear, Though may he, he may struggle with a lack of personal confidence, as Peter did, he cannot ultimately deny Christ. He cannot ultimately draw back from Christ out of shame or embarrassment. But rather, he'll be delivered from shame and hesitation by the powerful working of God within him or within her. For it's the nature of true faith to stand up for Christ. Did you hear that? It's the nature of true faith to stand up for Christ, to not be ashamed of Christ. 
And this afternoon, those who are being baptized will be showing that they have this kind of faith, that they're not ashamed of Christ or of their desire to follow him. Then lastly, a second reason why confessing and believing are the best and most appropriate responses that the Holy Spirit produces within those who are being saved is the fact that the goodness and graciousness of God draws these responses out of us. God's goodness and God's grace brings us to make these confessions. We can't deny these truths because they are so good and they are so gracious. For who can refuse to confess and believe in a God, in a Christ, who is so good? How is his goodness and graciousness expressed in two ways, very quickly, before we end? First, it is expressed in the way he deals with men through Christ without distinction. Notice what Paul says here in verse 12. For Paul says here in the beginning of verse 12 of Romans 10, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And thus, whether a man is a Jew or a Greek, God, through the gospel of Christ, makes a sincere offer of salvation. A sincere offer of salvation. None can rightly accuse God of being ungracious. None can rightly accuse God of being evil or unfair, given the gracious nature of his offer. Then God's goodness and graciousness are expressed in the rich way he confers salvation on those, on anyone, on everyone who calls on Christ's name. Notice what Paul states here in the rest of verse 12 and verse 13. He says, the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so here's the summary this morning. God's message is clear. God's message is not complicated. God's message is not convoluted. And God's appointed means of applying salvation to those who confess and believe are profound and powerful. Powerful. Thus, the only thing that separates us from salvation is the gracious work of God. That's the only thing that separates us from salvation, the gracious work of God. And I ask you this morning, given that we've looked at this message and this means very carefully, is God at work in you? Is God at work in you? You say, Pastor Massey, how do I possibly know that? Well, let me ask you, is he convicting you of your sin? Is he making you aware of the fact that you cannot keep the law of God perfectly, that you fail to measure up to his standard of righteousness, that you are a sinner, a sinner before him this morning in need of grace? Is he now breaking down your resistance? Do you feel that Christ is beginning to conquer in your life? That the resistance and the reluctance that you once had are starting to melt away? That the truth of the Word of God is becoming clearer and more powerful every day? 
You sense that it's only a matter of time before Christ conquers you completely. If that's your sense this morning, then the Spirit of God is certainly at work. May He be pleased to draw you all the way. Is He calling you to faith in Jesus Christ? If He is this morning, seek Him. Seek Him while He may be found. Seek Him while the opportunity is here. This very day, today, is the day of salvation. Do not boast about tomorrow. You don't know if tomorrow will ever be here. Today is the day of salvation. Do not delay another moment. Do not delay another day. For if you seek Christ, you will find Him. And you will find Him rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, rich in mercy to all who call upon his name. May you know the riches of Jesus Christ this morning. I know that most of you, many of you today know these riches. You could speak of them. You could testify of them. If we ask you to stand this morning, you could tell us quite eloquently all that Christ means to you and how the riches that you found in salvation through Christ are beyond compare. You know that the riches are true. If you're outside of Christ today, if you've never received Christ, if you've never sought Christ, may God enable you to know and enjoy these riches today for the saving of your soul and for God's glory. May God receive all glory today through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word today, and we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit that he would accomplish that powerful work of clarifying your word, of revealing your truth, of impressing upon our hearts our need of a Savior, of convicting us, of drawing us to Jesus Christ, and helping us to see that Jesus Christ is beautiful and rich to all who come to him. Do that work, we pray today, sovereignly, powerfully in our midst. And Father, give a rich blessing today to those who are willing to stand up and say that they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and that they believe in their hearts that you have indeed raised him from the dead powerfully and victoriously. Give them that confidence today and give them the joy that comes with being obedient and faithful to your word. Bless us in all these ways, we pray this morning in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.
as we receive these other ones, but only if we receive them properly. Only if we receive them by faith. By faith. in what they represent. And in knowing the goodness of God that is communicated through them. We're going to share in this meal in just a moment. Those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who desire to please Him, those who desire to live for Him, those who desire to be obedient for Him, are certainly welcome to participate in this table which the Lord has spread. But if you're not a believer today, we would ask you not to partake of these elements today, because they mean nothing to you if they're not mixed with faith. They mean nothing to you if you are not willing to confess with your mouth, even your hearts, and the one who these elements represent. So if you're not a believer, we would ask you not to partake of these elements as they're past, but please do not leave here today without asking questions, without asking more about the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Because as I said today, salvation is much nearer than we first believe. <coughs> Salvation is here today. Salvation is speaking in our ear. It's calling us right now today in the Lord Jesus So let me pray and then we'll back to okay. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus Christ who is represented by these elements. Help us to receive them with gratitude. Draw us to the Lord Jesus Christ and we be truly thankful for him. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.
Scripture that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread, and he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Well, he also took the cup after supper. Said to his disciples, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But we hold that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death for the accomplice. Come to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We're going to sing the doxology together. Let us sing it as a song of thanksgiving and praise to God for His goodness to us today. For the judgment of by the stream. It is not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. It never fails to bear fruit. Amen. May God bless the reading of this word. Would you please be seated for just a moment? 